Let us go ahead and pray. Father God, we come before you. And always, Lord, I ask for a couple of things. The first one is that as I speak here, that it is not me speaking but you. I ask, Father God, that you anoint my lips and that you speak through me. The second thing that I ask, Father God, is that you pour out your spirit upon my brothers and sisters in the congregation, that you prepare their hearts and their minds to be receptive to your message. And the third thing that I ask, Father God, is that as we open the scriptures, we never dare open the scriptures without calling upon the power of the Holy Spirit for wisdom, clarity, and understanding. We have felt your presence in this place, and we continue to invite your presence here right now. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen. So, the parable of the sower. First thing we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and um, look at the text, and we're going to go right to the parable. If you're not familiar with it, check it out. It's a wonderful parable, often overlooked, but today we're going to break it down, okay? So here we go, Matthew 13, 1, beginning on Matthew 13, verse 1. It says, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And a great, multi- great multitude were gathered together to him, so that he got into the boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood ashore. I don't know if you can picture this scenario, but he's down by, by the beach right there. People are all around him. It's hard. This was before microphones and amplifications and speakers and monitors. So Jesus was smart. Whenever Jesus does something or says something, you got to pay attention. He got on a boat. He went out, and from the sea, he spoke to all the multitude that was in, in the shore there and they can hear much clearly i've tried this before it's been very cool how how amazing it works where from the sea out to land is much clearer to hear than from the land out to the sea then again you probably need a lot of boats for the multitude to be in the sea for him to sit on the shore but the point is is that this is what's happening he gets out he's preaching he leans out and he starts speaking and look what he says he spoke many things to them in parables saying Behold, a sower went out to sow. Verse 4, and he sowed some seed, um, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. Verse 6, but when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Verse 8, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. First thing I want you to understand. First thing, that last verse in this parable. This is prophetic language. If you see Revelation and Daniel, especially in Revelation, you hear quite often this phrase repeated. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear, dot, 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 and you fill in the blank. So this parable is interesting enough that, that ends with that very thing. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Go ahead, pay attention, let him hear. The second thing that I want you to understand is that the multitudes are gathered around Jesus. Jesus is speaking, but this is not the Messiah that people were expecting. You see, up until this point, up until this point, up until the time that the Messiah had come up, there were many sacrifices, ceremonies, festivities, events, yearly events. Every seven days, every seven years, every seventh month or the tenth week or the thirteenth month, if there's such a thing. You know, they had all these rules of things that pointed to the Messiah. 
And they were waiting for the Messiah to come as a conqueror who was going to come and take care of all these empires that were keeping the, 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 the Israelites down. And so what happens is that when Jesus came in a totally different manner, they really had no idea who he was. They even rejected him. He wasn't good enough for them. He wasn't messianic enough for them. And so they struggled with him. This is why when John the Baptist was preparing the way for Christ Jesus, he said the following, and we, we read that in our scripture reading today, where he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to repent and recognize that the Messiah that we've been waiting for for years and years and years from the promise that happened in the Garden of Eden through the promise of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he is here. So repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But the problem is that the Savior came. They wanted a conqueror, but he didn't come to conquer in the manner in which they expected. They needed a Savior, and they asked for signs. They needed a Savior, but yet they were asking for some kind of miracle or something like that. And this wasn't how he came to be. He wasn't going to come by force to destroy or anything like that. But instead, he came to plant a seed in the hearts of individuals and create something new in the hearts of the people. And the parable of the sower really captures the type of Jesus that came, the Jesus that we needed, not necessarily the Jesus they wanted at the time, but this was the Jesus. Matthew 13, 37, we're going to take a look at the interpretation of the parable of the sower. We read it earlier, and a few verses later, you get to see the interpretation. If you ever find a section in Scripture that you don't understand, read a few verses before, a few verses after, read it in context of the book, and then in context of the entire Bible, so you can get a clear picture. So we don't need to guess who the sower is, because Matthew 13, 37 says, He answered and said to them, you see the disciples, didn't understand the parable either. And so they asked Jesus, hey, tell us what this means. And he says, he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is who? He who sows the good seed is the son of man. Is there any doubt who the sower is? It is the son of man, right? Now look at Christ's object lessons. Christ's object lesson uh, paid, sorry, Sorry, uh, uh, Matthew 13, 3. I skipped something here. Okay. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. So who is the sower? Jesus. And Jesus went out to do what? Sow, right? Now look at Christ's object lesson, page 36. This is very important that Jesus is the sower, and Jesus went out to sow. And here's the reason why. In the east, the state of affairs was so unsettled, and there was so great danger from violence that the people dwelt chiefly in walled towns. And the husbandmen went forth daily to their labor, to do their labor outside the walls. So Christ, the heavenly sower, went forth to sow. He left his home of security and peace left the glory that he had with the Father before the world was, left his position upon the throne of the universe. He went forth, a suffering, tempted man, went forth in solitude to sow in tears, to water with his blood, the seed of life of a world lost. His servants in like manner must go forth to sow. And so... Christ is the sower. He went forth to sow. And here in, 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 this, in this book, we, we have the explanation of how far he went. You know, I love 
Tallahassee. I love how cool it was. This morning I left my house and it was 51 degrees. I was so excited to feel the cool temperatures. In St. Pete, where I was pastoring before here, at 5 in the morning will still be 90 degrees. And no matter what, it was just always hot all year round. And we had one season just hot and melting hot. And, and that was it. And so I'm enjoying Tallahassee. And, you know, my wife and I, we pray a lot. Because one of the things is that for pastors, it's not a question of if you're moving, but when you're moving. Again, it's about seven to ten years or so, but we're hoping that, you know, we've only been here, it'll be three in December, in, in March, so we'll be here probably another four or five years. But whenever they do, I don't want to go to the Miami area. Between the bugs, the mosquitoes, how expensive it is to live in there, the traffic. Did I mention traffic? Traffic. And then the snakes and the things. And the, they got like python hunting season. I, I have had like deer hunting season and stuff like that, but not pythons hunting season. And they, they, do, they make a sport out of it and a game of it. And it's like, what in the world? So, so I'm praying that that doesn't happen. I grew up in Camden, New Jersey. You know, people that know Camden is like, really? Yes. Out of everybody, pathfinders. Everybody that was in the Pathfinder Club with me, only two of us are left alive or out of prison. One of us is an engineer in Lockheed Martin. The other one doesn't make that much money and is here in Tallahassee. And everybody else, everybody else, either dead or in prison. And so, you know, I grew up there and I think about it, but I don't want to raise my kids there. And, you know, my friend and I, Edgar, we're the only exception to everybody that we grew up with. And so I think about that because as a pastor, you know, there's that question that where are you going to go? And here I am, Lord, send me maybe, you know. But, but, but Jesus modeled that example, and it doesn't matter where you get called, whether it's Miami or Camden, New Jersey. If the Lord calls you, you need to heed that call. After all, the sower went out to sow. He left his comfort place to come down here to die for you and me. And by his wounds, we are healed. He trained his life for our death and because of him we are saved through grace and so sometimes sometimes we are called just like the sower to go out in the same manner outside of our comfort zone to a place we don't want to go filled with snakes or perhaps in the hood where I grew up in Camden New Jersey but you must be willing as a child of God to go Abraham Abraham in, in Genesis um Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord he said, has said to Abraham, Go Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And then in the chapter known as the chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And Abraham went out and did that. Now, there's many biblical examples of people who just simply went. So I just want you to keep that in mind as we look at the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower doesn't end there. It says on Mark 4, 14, it says that the sower sows what? The sower sows the word. And when Jesus came, he came to sow the word of truth. The devil had been deceiving many for a long time. The devil, you know, right now with all of the catastrophes that have been happening this week, all of the shootings and the fires, we had an entire church that burned down yesterday over in California called Paradise, California. Completely burned down. People were there in the hospitals and stuff. They had to be taken out. This is chaotic. And in the middle of all of this, people say, where is God? You're giving God credit for something 
that the devil is responsible for. The devil has been forever, forever damaging this world and giving us a bad image of God. He is the reason for all of the chaos, all of the disasters and the sins of the world. Jesus is the reason where we have a chance to have everlasting life. And yet sometimes we blame God for that. And this is why the sower came out to sow the word. And the word is truth. John 6.63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are what, church? Life. John 5.24, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Christ's object lesson, page 39, it says, Many professed ministers of the gospel do not accept the whole Bible as the inspired word. One wise man rejects one portion, another questions another part. They set up their judgment as superior to the word, and the scripture which they te- do teach rests upon their own authority. Its divine authenticity is destroyed. The Bible is to be presented as the word of the infinite God, as the end of all controversy, and the foundation of all faith. This is the word of God, and the word of God is truth. You know, I struggle with this because many times from the pulpit, we have one of those fluff, you know, feel-good messages. And don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong, uh, uh, you, you have two sides. You have folks that say, Pastor, when we come to church, I just need you to make me feel good about myself and recharge me so I could come back next week and, and get refilled again. Other people say, Pastor, you know, give it to me, hit me hard, smack me up with those verses, make me feel like the wretched person that I am. And so some of you are spiritual masochists, and I, and I get that, but, but under, understand that the Word of God is, is sometimes being just just fluffed you know it's kind of like when you have extra guests over and, and, and you know you, you have beans you throw extra water in there or extra water in the soup you know maybe catch one noodle is like fishing with your fishing with your food you know i i, I get it you know and, and so the, so this, the the gospel message is being watered down people preach feel good messages the problem with feel good messages can god makes you prosper yes does he want you to be wealthy and do great things absolutely but he also knows you some of you, if everything was fine and well, you know what? You would neglect the Father. How many times did we pray, Lord, if you only get him out of this one, I promise to do X, Y, and Z. He gets you out, and then you forget your promise. Your promise goes right out the window along with the blessing. When it should be the other way around, you get that blessing, and you praise God right away. You don't forget about him. So the Lord knows your situation. He knows where you are. Also, even if everything goes well, Know that there will be a time when the whole world is going to come crashing down. Because as long as you're doing things correctly in the sight of God, the devil would ensure that he would try to discourage you and attack you in any way that he can. So giving your life to God is not all prosperity. If anything, it will prompt more attacks than what you're used to receiving. It will prompt more. But from the pulpit, we're not getting these messages, and and it's not happening. And and so I I yearn for us to be able to sit in the pews and say just as the disciples did whenever the minister of the Lord brings the word of God, where it says, and it said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? That burning and yearnings in section, we need to bring that back into the church. When you open the word of God, if you can't say amen, you got to say what, church? Ouch. One or the other, your heart has to be burning. If you can't say amen, say ouch. 
And so when Jesus spoke, it wasn't just beating people up, but he gave them a hope, a hope that we have different than the entire world. And we see some examples that I hear. John 14, 3, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so he's given them a hope. This world is temporary. This ugliness and the things that are happening is just for a little bit. Hang on just for a little bit. We have a place where Christ has prepared for us to dwell with him. It is available to all of us. Some of us get all caught up in in arguing about erroneous things. And and we're fighting about, you know, little details here and there. When the gospel message is very clear. My God is not sitting in heaven and saying, did we make a mistake? No, no, the gospel message is still true. And we must be ready to present the gospel, which is another word for the good news of Christ Jesus, every single time. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 2, it says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. By the way, long-suffering doesn't mean you're going to make your hearers suffer long. It means you're going to be patient with that individual. But you are going to do this and be ready every single time. Isaiah 32, 20, it says, Blessed are you who sow besides all waters, yes, even Camden, New Jersey, or Miami. Blessed are you who sow besides all waters, who send out freely the feet of the ox and the donkey. Jeremiah twenty three twenty eight. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the shaft to the wheat? And Proverbs, lastly, 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. The word of God is pure. Who is the sower? Jesus. What does he sow? The word. And the word is life. The word is pure. The word is truth. Now, when he sows in the parable, it says that he was going and some of the stuff, some of the seed fell by the wayside. Look at Christ's objects, lessons, thoughts on that. Uh, Page 43. It says, That with which the parable of the sower chiefly deals is the effect produced on the growth of the seed by the soil into which is cast. By this parable, Christ was virtually saying to his hearers, It is not safe for you to stand as critics of my work or to indulge disappointment because it does not meet your ideas. The question of greatest importance to you is, how do you treat my message? Upon your reception or rejection of it, your eternal destiny depends. This is the seed falling by the wayside. How is it that you're receiving it? Matthew 13, 19, here's the parable uh, telling us so. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives the seed by the wayside. Do you know what it means to, to receive the seed by the wayside? We, we use the word wayside kind of like this is the, you know, the hallway, the, the alleyway, the highway. You know, it's a path where people go through. And have you ever had tons of people just sort of march through soil? You know, in that section, what happens to the soil there? 
It becomes, it becomes compacted, compressed. It gets hardened and hardened. So when the sower goes by and seed falls by the wayside, that ground is so hard that it can't penetrate it. And in the parable we read earlier, the birds come and just eat the seed right out of the top of it because it just lays there. And so here's what happens with this whole idea of the parable by the wayside is that remember that the sower is who? Jesus, and the seed is what? The word. So the sower and the seed are constant and are good. What it lands on determines the effect. And so have you allowed your heart to be hardened to such an extent? Has the devil through all his lives created such doubt that now you doubt everything and anything that comes your way? And so we need to work on softening that up. Hebrews 13, 19, when anyone... Hebrews 13, 19. When anyone, who, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, uh, sorry, Hebrews 13, 13, my apologies. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any one of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of what? Of sin, absolutely. And so we have that. You know, so many people question, why do we have so many false doctrines, so many false religions, so many, so many different things? It's because there's doubt out there, and then we build into that much more. And we harden our hearts to such an extent that it costs us even our children. Christ Object Lessons, page 45. Satan has many helpers, many who profess to be Christians and are aiding the tempter to cash away the seeds of truth from the other hearts. Many who listen to the preaching of the word of God make it the subject of criticism at home. They sit in judgment on the sermons as they would on the words of a lecturer or a political speaker. The message that should be regarded as the word of the Lord to them is dwelt upon with trifling or sarcastic comment. The minister, the minister's character, motives, and actions, and the conduct of fellow members of the church are freely discussed. Se- severe judgment is pronounced, gossip or slander repeated, and this is in the hearing of the unconverted. Often, these things are spoken by parents in the hearing of their own children. Thus, our destroy respect for God's messengers and reverence for their message. And many are taught to regard lightly God's word itself. Thus, in the homes of professed Christians, many youth are educated by infidels. And the parents question why their children are so little interested in the gospel and so ready to doubt the truth of the Bible. They wonder that it is so difficult to reach them with moral and religious influences. They do not see that their own example has hardened the hearts of their children. The good seed finds no place to take root and Satan catches it away. And so... You know, I, I um, this this is a quote that that hurts me. Uh, it, it really, really affects me because how many of us leave the church after this today, and you have conversations about how awful certain things were. Did you hear that person singing, that person praying, that person whatever, the one preaching too long, too short, too fast, too slow? And then we wonder how it is that the hearts of our children have been hardening. We're doing that upon ourselves. 
putting these things to criticism when we're supposed to uplift and encourage one another. So don't be like the wayside. Don't harden yourselves or harden the hearts of others. What about in stony places, as the parable continues, Matthew 13, 20? But he who receives the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he what, church? Immediately he stumbles. Now, let me tell you what happens. This has nothing to do with receiving the word of God quickly. Some of you heard the word of God and immediately you wanted to get baptized. Immediately you wanted to give your life to Christ. This has happened. We see Matthew as an example. As Jesus passed from there, this is on Matthew 9, 9. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and what? Follow him. He arose and followed him. It has nothing to do with how quick you accept the word of God. Some people fight off the word of God for a while, don't want to accept it. Some people accept it right away. Some of you may be hearing it today for the first time, and you're saying, I want to give my life to God. And that's perfectly fine. The problem is that they do not account for the things that come from giving your life to Christ. They, they take it for granted, and suddenly, when things are going well, oh, I'm a Christian, everything is wonderful, and roses and rainbows and pretty flowers, right? But the minute that, that tribulation comes your way, the minute you, you now buckle, and you give away, and, and you give up, and you break down, and you're torn apart because you can't handle the things that come with the sacrifices that it means to give your life to Christ, And so that's what happens. Temptation comes your way, and you crumble. So it's not about how quickly you give your heart to God. It's about understanding what it means to surrender to him entirely. Are you ready for that sacrifice? The next one is among the thorns. And we see that on Matthew 13, 22. It says, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of his world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes what? He becomes unfruitful. So, you know, this is, I like the thorn example. I have what you call a pale thumb. My thumb is a thumb of death. You ever heard of people that have a green thumb? I had a church member in St. Pete. I love hot peppers. I mean, garlic and hot peppers. You put that in anything, even veggie meat, and it's edible. I mean, it really is. And, and, and so um, they gave me a big plant that was mature and everything else. They said, Joey, all you got to do is just water it every other day. Do you know I killed that thing like in two weeks? I, I don't know anything about planting, and, and I really, really stink at it. However, when it comes to thorns and weeds... I can grow that in my driveway through the cracks. If I don't clear my gutters, right on the gutters, plants just grow. In my minivan that I parked under a tree and somehow there's like a little ridge and a plant started to grow out of it. I mean, I am amazing at growing weeds and thorns. But good plants, horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. I don't know if I water too much, too little. I have no idea. Maybe I use filter water versus some filter. I don't know what I did, but I killed that thing. But here's the thing with the seed that falls on thorny ground. You have to work hard to keep the thorns of your life pulled and yanked and completely eradicated. 
those things in your life, those cares, those, those things that, 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 that really trouble you, that keep you up at night, all of those things can grow and grow and grow. And you have to work really, really hard to, to work out of that thorny soil and really become good, good soil. It happens just like nothing. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I told you years ago I had that Chico English, and I prayed to God, Lord, give me the strength not to curse. And today I would not curse. And that was the day that I spoke like a sailor who was drunk. I mean, it's just like, what in the world? I struggle with that. And, and, and so you have to work really, really hard. Here are some scripture to share a little bit about that. First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And it says, do not love the world, the things of the world. So don't care about those things, right? If anyone loves the world and, and the, the, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Luke 21, 34, it says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of the life, and the day come on you unexpectedly. So it is crucial that you do not be preoccupied with these things, with the thorns of life, where there is drunkenness or cares or troubles or money, it doesn't matter. Do not catch yourself out there with the day coming unexpectedly. And I repeat to you the scripture reading for today that John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You got to work hard in getting rid of those things. So we have to prepare the soil. We have to prepare the soil. And here is some biblical text on the importance of preparing the soil. Because remember, the sower is what? Whom? Jesus. And he remains what? The same, right? The, he sows what? The word. And the word remains the same. So the sower and the seed is the same. The soil makes the difference. So you don't have to remain as you are, whether you're stony or, or, or thorny. You don't have to remain as you are. You can prepare the soil. Jeremiah 4.3. For thus says the Lord to, men, to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among what? Among the thorns. Hosea 10.12. Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek who? The Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. This is very biblical. When Jesus said this parable, he was making references to a lot of these Bible verses that I'm quoting to you from other sections in Scripture. This is very crucial. If you're having a difficult time walking in the path of God, break up your fallow ground. Sow and seek the Lord and don't, and don't let go of him at all until righteousness is found on you. Christ Objects Lesson, last quote today from Christ Object Lesson, page 57. At the very outset of the Christian life, every believer should be taught his foundation principles. He should be taught that he is not merely to be saved by Christ's sacrifice, but that he is to make the life of Christ his life and the character of Christ his character. This is why I talk to you about working in service. It's not for me, but this is part of character building. Let all be taught that they are to bear burdens and to deny natural inclination. Let them learn the blessedness of working for Christ, following him in self-denial and enduring hardness as good soldiers. Let them learn to trust his love and to cast on him 
their cares. Let them taste the joy of winning souls for him. In their love and interest for the lost, they will lose sight of self. The pleasures of the world will lose their power to attract and its burdens to dishearten. The plowshare of truth will do its work. It will break up the fallow ground. It will not merely cut off the tops of the thorns, but it will take them out by the roots. If you want to ask yourself, how can I continue to better grow in Christ? Allow Christ to work in you and through you for the benefit of all. When I'm in the business of bringing people to Christ, I'm not worried about how they're dressed. And how they show up or what kind of music did they have on the radio when I knocked on the door. I'm more concerned about introducing them to the Savior. And when you're too busy going about God's business, you know, I just read on the newspaper yesterday that it's been a month since the hurricane. If this week has been my work, first week sort of off from the hurricane, even on Monday, Gary and I were over there doing some work and everything else and bringing stuff over. But we have been... You know, really, really busy that the weeks flew by when you were helping people, providing food and cooking for them and cleaning up and doing all of these different things. When you're going about God's business, you don't have time to critique or or focus on what brothers and sisters are looking like when they come to the church. Because you're looking at people at their time of need and meeting in their needs. This is very, very crucial. Now, the parable does not end there. The parable says that some of the seed also fell lastly where? on good soil. And you know, one of the biggest things is that when it comes to good soil, you and me, we can become good soil as well. Do you want to know how that happens? Look at the scriptures. Matthew 13, 23, here's a parable of the good soil. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some, six, some 60, and some 30. Mark 2, 17, it says, When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to, right, come to come the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You want to know how you become good soil? Are you a sinner who has fallen down, but is now up, who has repented, and has God to cleanse you and work in your heart? If you do that, you are good soil. The Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. So if we are all sinners, how do we become good? A sinner who has come to repentance. Hebrews 11, 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. But for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is rewarded of those who diligently seek him. Seek God. Repent and seek God. Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. How many of us go daily trying to do the will of God? And lastly, 1 John 2, 6, it says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. The parable of the sower, very simple. Today, I took a long time to break it down because I want you to understand the basic thing. Jesus is the one that sows. Our job is to introduce people to the sower. He sows the word, and the word is truth. How many of us spend three hours watching a movie but only five minutes doing a devotional? You know, how many of us really dig deep into the word of God? And how many of us are willing to receive it? The only difference in this parable is the recipient of the seed. 
Which seed are you? You don't have to stay that way. Work hard to get rid of the thorns. Prepare the soil. Repent. Seek God. Do his will. Have faith in him and trust him. And you will see how wonderful and beautiful you will grow as Christ plants the seeds in your heart. Let us go ahead and pray. Father God, we come before you. Lord, we love you dearly. Father God, many of us have heard your message. We've heard Christ is coming for a long time. We've heard that it's important to give our hearts to you. We've heard that it's important to serve you and take care of others in your behalf. This week, board meeting, we're going to be discussing how it is that we as a church can make an impact in our community. And I get it now. We'll say something, well, the pastor wants to make us work. Oh, why do we got to do more? Oh, why is this going to cost so much? I'd rather just write a check and stay at home comfortably because I don't want to give more of my time. It's just too much. I work too hard. Father God, we have to learn to be receptive, to be willing to go out just as Christ Jesus was willing to come down here and put up and deal with everything that he dealt with because he really loved us. Father God, it is not easy to go to the Camden, New Jersey's of the world or to Miami with the heat. You know, it's not easy to go to those places. But if we genuinely love you and, and accept what you have done for us, we will go no questions asked. Father God, work in our hearts. Take doubt and fear away. Soften up these hearts of stone. Let us be receptive to your word. And once again, work in us and through us for the benefit of all. May this church can carry out its mission in serving as the body of Christ, with Christ leading the way as the head. May you bless us and keep us right now. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say amen.